Recorded live. A-U-N. American Underground Network. The following live recording is an A-U-N special presentation. Welcome, everybody. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, and in the case of Christopher Bolin, good, af- uh, good evening. And uh, we are very honored for this special Sunday conference uh, call to have Hamuk from the West Coast. And Hamuk, of course, has been uh, uh, filming, editing, and reporting and producing DVDs for what he terms, and I agree, the superstars of the 9-11 Truth Movement, and certainly Christopher Bolin is one of those. And uh, thanks to Hamuk, we have a lot of DVDs and uh, broadcast, and he has one of the largest archives of uh, 9-11 Truth DVDs that you can find on the Internet. And uh, we are certainly honored to have him uh, host this event. Along with uh, Amuk, of course, is Christopher Bolin, who is uh, uh, an author and uh, former journalist with American Free Press, one of their star reporters, who I call the father and founder of the 9-11 Truth Movement, because he truly broke the story of 9-11 with his relentless research and journalism since day one of uh, September 11, 2001. So, uh, gentlemen, Christopher and Hamouk, thank you so much for this uh, uh, opportunity to do this venue and, and welcoming the public to join in with you. And with that, uh, Hamouk, I'll turn it over to you. All right. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate you all the efforts you put into making this possible. Uh, it, a couple of things to set this up. In our last show, uh, we discussed the future of 9-11, and that's up on uh, the web now. And uh, the question was, some people brought up the question of repackaging uh, 9-11. Maybe the, the, uh, the word 9-11 truth was hackneyed and people uh, needed a new uh, uh, meme to work with. So uh, that's one of the things we discussed last time. Uh, the other thing I want to bring out is the uh, blog, 911tv.org. That's where you find all those videos, including Christopher Bolin's latest video uh, called Solving 9-11. Anyway, I think we're, uh, we're going to move on from me and get right to Christopher Bolin. So, uh, Chris, are you there, and can you uh, give us a – few minutes of your time to tell us just exactly what your uh, point of view is on this. Uh, solving sure. 9-11 ends the war. Sure. Uh, well, can you hear me all right? I can hear you fine. This is great. Okay. Yeah, this is Christopher Bolin. Um, and um, like he said, I'm the author of Solving 9-11 and uh, the deception that changed the world. And you know, now we are uh, 13 and a half, almost 14 years after 9-11. And some people might wonder why we're still um, talking about 9-11. And the, the thing is, is that the, the 9-11 conundrum, I mean, that's about how I would describe it. That, that the 9-11 conundrum is, is a very good illustration. It's a symptom of our, of our predicament. We have a very serious predicament. And the 9-11 case is, is huge. It's, it's, it's bigger than most people can wrap their heads around because what it means is that it, it, it means that our government, 
our federal government, our U.S. government, and everybody in that government, I mean the representatives and the, and the congressmen, the senators, and the executive branch, are basically in cahoots in this deception that's gone on for 13 years. You know, the false narrative of what happened on 9-11 and ignoring the, the, the evidence and ignoring the, the, the real questions about what happened on 9-11. And in partnership with our federal government in this deception is, of course, the controlled media. So we're living in a, we're living in a land of make-believe where the, what we've been told for 13 and a half years by our government um, and the media is false. And, and based on that pack of lies, they have taken us into two wars. They've basically tripled our defense budget. They've plundered our country, and they've killed millions of people. So this is a huge problem. I call 9-11 the flaming symptom of our, of our political predicament. And until we, get, until we rectify the situation, until we prosecute the, the real criminals behind 9-11 and, 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 and put them in jail and, and, and root out all of the people who are involved in this from A to Z, from the, from the crime itself and the deception and the cover-up, all those people, until those people, until we really have a purge, a 9-11 purge, and get all the criminals who are involved in this, we will not have, we, we cannot look forward to having a healthy American republic or, for that matter, a healthy world, because the United States plays such a big role in, in global politics. So that's our problem. And it's, it's so big that, as I say, most people are absolutely afraid to even discuss it, because it's just too scary. Well, that's certainly correct. You've got the uh, image right, and what we want to discuss here is uh, how to change that, how to get your video to go viral, how to get uh, more and more people uh, to understand what false flag is and to understand where we're going. Um, my uh, comment here, and I want to explore these, uh, the people brought up last time we had this conversation, uh, repackaging in new terms and and some people think that Zionist is the wrong term to use or Jew or Ashkenazi or anti-Semite all of those terms get conflated and confused and we need some help figuring out just what what we should call these people that we're working with so we don't raise the the wrath of the entire Jewish community uh, mm-hmm. but on the other hand make sure that we are speaking about the right problem uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I want to go into it a little deeper and maybe let, let's just stop right there let's talk mm-hmm. about what we call uh, the people that are involved, this 9-11 purge that you talk about, just how are we going to do that and who are we going to focus on? Well, I mean, you, you start by, it's a criminal, it's a, it's a crime, it's an atrocity, a mass murder. Um, so you start by the people who you can absolutely, um, who are absolutely culpable, criminally culpable. And, you know, one of the first people that you would have to start with would be Michael Sheratoff. Michael Sheratoff was the assistant attorney general at the Department of Justice, it was his obligation to prosecute the crimes of 9-11. And in order to do that, the FBI was working beneath him, was working, it's a sub-agency of the Department of Justice. They were, their obligation was to um, examine the evidence, you know, gather the evidence, examine the evidence, and give him what he needed to prosecute the crime. That didn't happen. Rather than investigate the crime, the evidence was destroyed. And that was done with the with the connivance of, with the approval of Michael Sheratoff. Well, that's a crime. When you, when, you, when you destroy the evidence from a crime, 
And in this case, we're talking about the mass murder of 2,600 people at the World Trade Center. That's a mass murder. That's an atrocity. Well, to destroy the evidence from that, you know, uh, crime, that crime scene, is itself a crime. So you start with him. You start with the, and that's what I'm saying. You start with the people who are criminally culpable, who can be held accountable. Now, the question is, of course, how do you bring the former top cop, John Ashcroft was attorney general at the time, how do you bring John Ashcroft and um, Michael Sheratoff to book? How do you bring them to court? That's the hard part because they are protected, you know, and, and of course, this, this goes further. This goes to George Bush, of course, and Dick Cheney because, you know, uh, Ashcroft and Sheratoff served under the executive at, at the time. That was my, um, George Bush. So, I mean, we're talking about the highest, the highest cops in the nation at the time and the executive branch of the U.S. government. How do you bring those people to account? That's the hard part. Right, I get that, and that's that's what we're looking for. Uh, and we'll get into that in the Q and A here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the the names that uh, the the work that people can understand, mm-hmm. um, neocon comes to mind as being a constant mm-hmm. theme through many many generations, many uh, uh, presidencies uh, mm-hmm. that. This, the people have been doing the same thing. And when they're out of office in the United States, they're working for Israel, writing the same papers for Israel that they write for mm-hmm. the guys in the United States when they're in charge. Can you follow up on that thread and let us uh, hear uh, from you on that? Yeah, well, the, the neocons, um, it, it's as you say, they, they, there's, this, there's this revolving door for these guys between um, the United States government and Israeli government, like Stanley Fisher. He was, you know, a former head of the Bank of Israel, and now he's back at the United States, and um, the whole bunch. It's, it's, I don't know about Wolfowitz, but the, these people, they are connected, and, and their connection to the state of Israel is the vital link. You know, um, I often call these people Zionists because they are of the political ideology. They support Zionism. And the problem is that a lot of people don't understand what Zionism actually means. But Zionism is, of course, um, dedicated support for the nation, the, 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 the nation state of Israel. Um, but it's more than that because there's, there's, a, there's, there's a greater agenda behind it. Not all the people who are Zionists, of course, live in Israel. Um, but but it's, it's, as I refer to these people, um, they're criminals. I mean, you know, people like Michael Sheratoff is a criminal. He was the former top cop in the United States, true, but he's also a criminal in that he allowed the evidence to be destroyed rather than investigated from 9-11. So I call them criminals. The fact that they are Zionists or Jews or neocons is, is really not the, the important thing. The important thing is that they're criminals and have to be held accountable. Right, right, and I get that, and that's, that's great. I, I'm just concerned about the words that we use yeah. def, uh, deflecting people and putting them off. And I, I guess that after the, this has happened for 13 and a half years, people are pretty used to the idea that uh, those of us who speak out against Zionism and uh, find that their tactics are uh, deplorable uh, are held as anti-Semites, even though most of us are uh, are pro-Semite in terms of being pro-Palestine, who are in fact the Semites. The the European Ashkenazi Jews are not Semites at all, but they parade as Mm -hmm. Semites and and use that terminology to scare everybody in America. How do we get around that? 
Well, you you have to you have to understand that if you're going to be critical of Israel, or if you're going to criticize, you know, the actions of the Zionist state, um, in this case, the uh, their involvement in 9/11, they're going to throw that card at you because that's the only thing they can do. I mean, today in the in in the in the largest newspaper in in Amsterdam in Holland, uh, I'm I'm being called a Holocaust denier. They're calling me a Holocaust denier because I'm going to be speaking in Holland next weekend and at an open mind conference on, on June 6th and 7th and with Ken O'Keefe and a few other people. And because, uh, you know, they, don't, they, they want to let the people know that this guy is, an, is, a, is a Holocaust denier. It's, of course, completely nonsense. But they, they, they tried, first they, they tried the anti-Semite thing, but um, they were not able to, they're not able to find anything on that. So now they, they've settled this, this poor little journalist has settled on this claim that I'm a Holocaust denier. This is what I call the stink bomb. This is, this is what they do. You see, they want to taint our discussion. They want to taint this, this discussion of 9-11 um, by throwing in a stink bomb. And the stink bomb they throw is supposed to, is supposed to make people um, reject what we're saying and to avoid it getting in this discussion. But actually, it, it, it works the other way around. It makes people more interested. It's controversial. It, it creates controversy. And obviously, 80,000 people have read about the conference that may have otherwise not known about it. So it's, it's what I tell people is that when they throw these stink bombs at you, when they call you names, they call you anti-Semite, they call you this or that, embrace, con- embrace the controversy. Don't run away from it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't, don't let it scare you. You know, just let it act and let it open up the conversation. Say, you know, uh, you know you, you, right away you say you call me anti-Semite, you call me Holocaust denier. You prove, you show that you're, you're not none of the above, which is very easy for me. Um, they, the, the girl said that I was a Holocaust denier because I had conflated the, um, the firebombing of Dresden um, and, and said that that was the Holocaust. Of that, that was the Holocaust. That's completely wrong. It was in an article that I wrote called An American Holocaust, 9-11, An American Holocaust, in which I talked about uh, these holocausts, these you know, complete consumption by fire, a, a large amount of human life, that's what it means, it's old Greek word, you know, I knew that Dresden, that happened in Dresden, about 500,000 people were burned to a crisp in Dresden. I knew Waco, Texas, where 88 people, I think it was, were killed by fire. And 9-11, when we have 2,600 people who are roasted alive and then blown to smithereens with, with super thermite. Well, these are holocausts that I have seen or I know about in my, in my own time. And, and because I wrote about because I wrote about these holocausts and didn't you know uh, and, and said these are holocausts that I know of, this girl said that I'm a Holocaust denier completely rubbish and I have a mind to um, pursue this uh, legal claim against this newspaper called Parole in the newspaper in Holland. Fantastic. Yeah, the, the work you're doing is really critical uh, here, Christopher, because you've thought about this for so many years, and some of us are just—it's just coming to the surface that there's actually something mm-hmm. to to uh, get our teeth in there. But uh, <clears throat> what you just said, embrace controversy, is is key to this whole thing. The controversy that uh, we are embroiled in now about whether it's Zionists or, or neocons or or as uh, uh, the helpers mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. <clears throat> something that everybody, a lot of people in the truth movement seem to be trying to avoid. And I, we can't do that. We have to move no. 
with this controversy. We cannot be put off from this controversy right. by the name calling because it's the ad right. hominem attacks that don't hear that don't clear up the actual uh, truth of the matter of what happened and what's going on. Right, right. As I as I as I as I say, nine eleven truth. You know, the search for nine eleven truth is not for the faint of heart. You know, if if, if it's like. If you can't stand the heat, don't get in the kitchen because it's a very, very big thing, and it's a it's a struggle. It's it's a struggle. It's a war. It's a war in which thousands and thousands of people have already been killed. It's a war that is destroying our nation. So it it, it believe me, it's not something for the faint of heart. If 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 you're gonna if you're gonna be uh, tremble in fear of having somebody call you a name, um, it's really not some place you want to go. You better just stay home and watch TV. Um, you know. If you're going to get involved in the 9-11 truth movement seriously, you've got to be prepared for uh, this is a struggle. This is a struggle. I mean, I, tell me, I, I've lived for uh, almost seven years outside of the United States because I was attacked by undercover police at my house. I'm, you know, I'm lucky to be alive at this point. But, I mean, it's, it's a struggle. So, you know, um, you know girdle, gird up your sport and be prepared for it and, and, don't, um, uh, and don't tremble in your boots if somebody's going to call you a name like anti-Semite. I mean, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Got it. Got it. Well, that's uh, you're on the right track there. Whether people can assimilate that and actually go along with that is yet uh-huh. to be seen. Uh, I know that uh, that the uh, the movement has done just a huge amount of work. For example, the nanothermite folks and the uh, AE uh, 9/11 Truth folks have done a tremendous amount of work uh, yeah. pointing out that uh, nanothermite was used and that the architects and engineers have come on board to uh, in large numbers. But still, among the AIA, 98% of the architects in the AIA in a recent yeah. vote are still proponents of the official story. And how, uh, how does that yeah. fit with what you're saying? I mean, it seems to me that there are people that, that must know what the real truth is, and yet yeah. only 2% of the population of AIA is saying that uh, 9-11 was an inside job. Well, it's because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an institution, and institutions in America um, have shown themselves to be completely reluctant to engage 9-11 truth. Um, you know, our churches, our schools, our universities, um, obviously our government and our media uh, won't go near it. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're scared. They're scared out of their wits about it. And, and institutions avoid it because of the kind of groupthink that prevails in, in such institutions like the Architects uh, Institute of America. They, they obviously, I mean, look, at they, they, they had Bill Clinton come and speak at their event in Atlanta where they made the, uh, you know, the motion and the vote on this uh, taking up this uh, new investigation question. Um, so it's like, well, geez, if they're spending money, I mean, Bill Clinton doesn't speak for free, right? Last I saw, he charged like $500,000 a speech. So if they're, if, they're, if they're paying Bill Clinton, you know, who's like the mother of the 9-11 crisis, actually, you know, the, the whole 9-11 the setup was done during Bill Clinton's you know, period in office. And so uh, the Clintons are just as involved in the 9-11 saga as the Bushes or the Sheratops. So what I'm saying is that there's an institutional kind of thinking in America that keeps these institutions on the safe side of the tracks. They don't want to go, they don't want to dabble in something um, 
that they see can only harm them. You see, they, they, don't, they don't see that there's any benefit to taking on 9-11 truth. They're cowards. In a word, they're cowards. Yeah, well, that's strong language, but I think you may have hit it right there. Um, and that's, of course, what the, many of us struggle with every day is to how do we put out this information, uh, get out the videos, get it on public access. And that's uh, I do want to follow that thread right now, that the, the public access uh, television work we're doing is the last airwaves we have left. Mm-hmm. And it's very important to fill all of those holes. And we in 9-11 Truth are struggling mm-hmm. to get all of this material on television, but we still need thousands and thousands of people calling into their stations, telling them where the videos are available, supplying them DVDs if they have to have DVDs, and getting this material on the public access airwaves. It's just so important. I can't overemphasize that. And the work you've been doing in the video you just did fits right into that. So anyway, there's a lot of work to do, and I understand the part about the uh, it's not for the faint of heart, and and that's I think what we're doing is just reiterating that a lot of us have known that for the last ten years or fourteen years or however long we've been working on it personally, and it just gets harder the farther we get away from it because it seems like we're totally barking up the wrong tree, but on the other hand, it's the only tree in the forest at this point. Right, we must expose 9-11 as a fraud, as an inside job, and by what it was, as a crime. And right. I think that's important. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, Humuk, you know, 9-11 is just the most egregious, most blatant, most flaming symptom of the disease that has afflicted the American system. But it's, it's, it's not the only one. You know, it was preceded by Oklahoma City, uh, Ruby Ridge, Waco, Texas, uh, you know, TWA 800, uh, Egypt Air 990. Uh, there's a host, there's a host of, of smaller um, unsolved crimes or shootdowns or incidents where people have been killed, hundreds of people have been killed, um, that, have, that have, have been covered up and, and have been treated in the same way as 9-11. And, and so it's like, it, this didn't start with 9-11, but 9-11 is just the most glaring symptom of the problem. And, and the thing is that because it's the most glaring, because it's the most outrageous, and because it goes directly to the culprits who are behind the entire sickness, that's why we have to root it out, you know, every single last bit of it. We have to pull – that's why my book – that's why I work – I still work – I'm finding out the people who are involved in the cover-up. Like just recently, you know, I saw that architect and engineers um, had put out a little thing about, uh, you know, discussion of Israel and Jews with 9-11. Uh, Dan Noel had written this little thing. And, um, and, and he had pointed, he said, well, we're, very, we're very okay pointing fingers at Cheyenne Sunder and um, John Gross. Now, these are the two architects, who, the two engineers who, who worked on the NIST cover-up paper, which came out in uh, October 2005. In which, they, in which NIST covered up the true cause of the collapses of the Twin Towers. And, and that NIST cover-up, um, for that, they, they point fingers at these two, these two minor characters in NIST. And I, and I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got to look at who was the director of NIST. And I found the director. His name, uh, he, he, for years, he was really keeping a low profile. His name was William Jeffrey. 
of course, on the front page of the NIST report, after all, at the bottom. And, and I found that he was what we call a crypto Jew, in that, in that he's a guy who has this last name that sounds like it's an Anglo-Saxon waspy name, but in fact, his father was a Russian Jew named Jaffe, J-A-F-F-E. And, and after his father got married in, in, in Florida, Mr. Jaffe, his father, changed the name to Jeffrey. And um, this, is, this is, is, is disturbing in that, in that um, this man, William Je- Jeffrey, who, who, was the, who was the director of NIST when this fraudulent report was written, that is, again, a crime, He's gone, on, he's gone on to head the SRI Institute in California at Stanford University, Stanford Research Institute in Menlo Park, where they, where they spend a lot of time developing exactly the same kind of nanothermite that was used to bring down the World Trade Center. So, you know, this is, this, the, the SRI Institute in California um, is a nonprofit, nonprofit research and development lab for the U.S. military. That's what it is. Well, I mean, you know, this guy, this guy should be held accountable for being the, the, the chief author of the NIST cover-up. You know, this NIST cover-up is very important. You know, it, it's not just that we were lied to, but they, 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 they did a criminal fraud in that they used taxpayers' money and they wrote a completely fraudulent report about what really happened to the towers on 9-11. Knowingly creating a fraudulent report is a crime, especially about something like 9-11. So William Jeffrey should be held accountable. There's another person. He should be held accountable. And, of course, you, you take Shyam Sunder and John Gross and, and ask them, you know, what was their role in this? Because they're all involved in it. At this point, you know, we're not just talking about the crime. But we're talking about the ongoing crime, which is the cover-up of 9-11 and the deception that's been foisted on the American people about 9-11. That is the ongoing crime. Yeah, you got it. That's from from my point of view, that you uh, you you have it nailed. Um, mm-hmm. I wondered if this would be a good time to uh, Steve to open up the call to questions. If there's anybody in the audience that has a question for Christopher, yeah, does I, that seem? Yes, sir. I'll go ahead and then un- unmute these. And we have uh, quite a few people on talk show too, uh, which do not have microphones. But if you folks have a question, if you'll simply uh, text that, I'll uh, relay that over to Christopher and Hamouk. Uh, I would like to say one thing. Uh, Betty is on the line with us uh, from Chapel Hill, and also uh, Betty should get some recognition because she has been constantly putting uh, a lot of the DVDs that Hamouk has been sending her up on public access, which is in the Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill area, and that is a massive amounts of college and university. So, uh, congratulations to the efforts that Hamouk and Betty have been doing through that that venue in the uh, Raleigh and Chapel Hill area. Because I can tell you, right, that part of North Carolina has a a university or a college about every uh, every square ten miles. I mean, that's that many colleges and universities mm-hmm. up there. So, it's really going really good as far as uh, I think alerting people as to what's mm-hmm. going on. And Betty and I had talked, and I just want to bring this up to you, uh, Christopher, that uh, <clears throat> if everyone would just take the time to read your book uh, and the companion mm-hmm. book, have it with uh, articles, of, mm-hmm. uh, it, uh, mm-hmm. it'd be so easy to understand. And, and that's the thing mm-hmm. to try to emphasize is to read your book. But sadly, mm-hmm. most people don't read things today. And, and even <laughs> in my town, you know, most of the 
peppers are yeah they're 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 numbered on their days until they'll be yanked. There won't be any anything else in print. So one of the things mm-hmm. Betty had discussed, and Betty, you you chime in too, but we were possibly suggesting that on a regular occurrence uh, like a venue like t- today, if you might be able to just uh, go over uh, in my chapter or, or uh, of your book, and maybe we could do an mm-hmm. audio version uh, where people could simply. Yeah. Do this, and and you go over chapter by chapter, and then it would be archived on your website and others that people yeah. actually hear this and say, "Oh man, you know, maybe yeah. you should take the time to read the book." And and of course, we yeah. want people to get your book and and get it because if nothing else, you've got a reference with your articles, everything from day one. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to do is 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 the the proof is in the print, and the proof is what yeah. you have spent your life uncovering with your. Mm-hmm. Courageous efforts, and uh, and mm-hmm. that's what Betty. Betty, you agree with that? Oh, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to uh, suggest. Is possibly uh, is is you know doing an audio, doing audio files. You mean do do audio files of the chapters, chapter by chapter, right? Read exactly. Read. Just like like today. For yeah. example, today we would be going over chapter yeah. of of solving nine uh, yeah. eleven, the greatest deception. Yeah. There's a yeah. In other words, yeah. people that haven't read the book yet, you don't, and yeah. really you're missing a good read. Kristen, and I can even I can even get that I can even get that on on public access. Exactly. Yeah. So this this would be a way, yeah. Chris, I think, to really create number one an interest, saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. we're missing out on this." You know, uh, I took your suggestion. I put a couple of these in the Charlotte Library. Uh, I don't. I hope they're still mm-hmm. there, but. Uh, mm-hmm books in the in the public library system here in North Carolina in Charlotte. So this is the way I think you have to get to the root of the problem. As you said many times when you're in our venue, you have to get to the root and the best way to do this is beat them at their own game. And and, and mm-hmm. give them the information, but if we could possibly get a, a regular venue once a week or something and go over each chapter mm-hmm. and then probably have mm-hmm. them on the audio and then they can get the book as a reference yeah. or to read the book. That's a good idea. Very good idea. Could I make uh, a one, comment? Oh, go ahead. Sure, Betty. Come on in. Uh, uh, with the Pope, I'm, I'm not Catholic. I'm not religious or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But with the Pope uh, now uh, uh, recognizing Palestine and mm-hmm. and actually going to try to do something about that, that makes pretty much the Catholics people in the world to listen more to what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. And this seems like this would be an opportune time to educate the people to what Zionism really is because once their mind is opened up a little bit to the Palestinian situation, it's a, it's a a great time if we have the tools to be able to introduce what Zionism is and they could then ex- understand a little bit more what's going on in the whole world situation. Right. Because this is right. the well, problem. You could, you talk to somebody and you say Israel or Jewish, and it's mm-hmm. like you're sounding sounding off on the whole, whole all of these mm-hmm. people. But mm-hmm. when you understand, I mean, Henry Ford Sr., he tried real hard to educate people. He even started mm-hmm. his own publishing house and, and uh, mm-hmm. printed the protocols of uh, Zionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this is where we have to really, really 
get the people to understand what the Zionist problem is. Absolutely. And the Pope is going to help bring this, even though it's Palestine he's talking Mm -hmm. about, people are going to see how Israel is responding to that because they're beginning Mm -hmm. to respond to that very negatively. Mm-hmm. So this is mm-hmm. going to open up how many people of the world to this whole whole situation. So this gives mm-hmm. us the opportune time to jump in with what we need to educate them with. Absolutely, excellent, excellent, buddy. I would along that line and following that thread, I want to uh, bring up Allison Weir and her recent work and her uh, If Americans Knew her website mm-hmm. where she has. Uh, studied the Zionist influence for a hundred years and shows how that has affected us so greatly here as Americans and how Americans are able to spend $8 million a day sending that to Israel. And then they turn around and turn it into uh, bombs to bomb Gaza with, and Americans don't see the connection. So she's been doing a huge amount of work to uh, to uh, publicize this uh, angle, and I just want to make that her videos are up on the t- on uh, YouTube and uh, take a look at Allison Weir's work. I put a letter to the editor one time into the local newspaper here of posing the question, why are we giving all this millions of dollars that ends up to be, what, $30 billion or something like that? Three. Uh, uh, <coughs> three billion, rather. Yeah, that's right. I had the right figures in the letter. Uh, uh, and what, what do we get back from that? And somebody did respond back in the newspaper. We get it back through contracts to the yeah. military, for, for the military. Yeah. Right, That's exactly. what we get back. Can, yep. can you imagine? Yep. So that, that right huge. there should show what it's all about. Sure. Mm-hmm. Israel has, has come one of the major... Uh, players in uh, teaching about international terrorism and teaching the police forces of America how to deal with terrorism and teaching them to shoot for the head instead of the body because you actually want to make kills in this situation. So Israel is hugely involved in the police state that we're all uh, enmeshed in. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have any comments on that, uh, Christopher? Do we want to uh, see if there's any other questions on the line out there? Yeah, Yeah, let's see if there's any more questions out there. Okay. okay. There's a couple of questions um, that are off topic from TalkShoe. Um, I I don't know if you want to get off. Well, topic. not actually at this point. If they're if they're related to the work that Christopher has been doing, and that's that is the main thing we want to discuss here. Uh, his notion of embracing controversy, I think, is a very important concept that we need to work on. Uh, and if there aren't any more questions or, or Christopher doesn't have any more to say about it, then, of course, we'll take the uh, off-topic questions. I'll, I'll, I'll present let's see if, but I, I'm sorry, uh, Humuk, I'll present these, but I definitely you know, wanna, don't want to get you guys off-topic because what you're covering and with Betty's comments are very important. So, uh, And there's still some people that haven't chimed in yet that are unmuted on the call line. But uh, I'll just go ahead and read these. Uh, there's one... Uh, uh, is Christopher familiar with Jim Stone? If so, what is his opinion of Fukushima infections? And the second one is, what is the link between site intelligence group based in Virginia and the recent Shia, uh, Saudi Shia bombings? Okay. Um, the first one, I don't know much about Jim Stone. I've seen some of his work. But the second one is a good question. Okay. What is the relationship between site intelligence group and what was the rest of that? 
uh, the site intelligence group based in Virginia and the recent yeah. uh, Saudi Shia bombings. Okay. Um, the site intelligence group is an Israeli intelligence website uh, working in the United States. It's headed by a woman named Rita, Rita Katz, K-A-T-Z. She's an Israeli intelligence agent. She's uh, born in Iraq. Her father was an Israeli spy. Um, he was hanged in Iraq back in the 60s, and the family then went to Israel. The remaining family went to Israel, and she she's an Israeli intelligence agent. And Site Intelligence Group, S-I-T-E, is, um, is the outfit that provides all of the um, current basic interpretation of the Middle East, whether it's the beheading videos, whether it's uh, the, the, the claims that, that ISIS is involved in the uh, uh, shootings in Arizona and Dallas, Texas the other day. All of this stuff, all this information comes to the American media through Site Intelligence Groups. And what what what's what site does is they claim to be they claim to have the inside track um, on all of these groups like ISIS, um, and and that that they're able to um, you know infiltrate these groups or, or get the information and then present it to the American media, which is nonsense. I mean, what they're doing is that they're these groups are this is where Israeli intelligence is providing the information that they want us to have. Whether it's true or not, that's a whole other question. And so that, like, when there was a second beheading video of an American um, by this ISIS group, um, the ISIS lady, Rita Kotz, presented the video before the group had even presented it. And she was on CNN explaining that. She said, well, yeah, we, we, uh, you know, we, we had a copy beforehand. Well, how did, how did this little Israeli intelligence website have a copy of the video before the bad guys had even released it. You see, this is hand in glove. This is, you have to understand that, that in, the, in, the term, in the case of ISIS, um, it's the Saudis and Qatar and, and these, these Sunni governments working hand in hand with Israel and the United States and British intelligence. ISIS is, is not what you think it is. ISIS is not at all what you think it is. It, it's very much a, uh, an intelligence operation, and they have been funded, they've been supported, they've been given weapons and trucks and everything from the United States. In fact, um, uh, John McCain, Senator John McCain, when he was in, in Syria in May of 2013, he was meeting with the people who run ISIS. He was talking to them, meeting with them, photographed with them. In fact, he was speaking to the guy who is now the current head of ISIS, this fellow named um, al-Baghdadi. You know, and so this is, this, is, this, is, this is the whole thing. It's a game. It's a big game. And we're the ones who are being played for suckers. Well, you got that right. That's uh, that's the thing that I'm trying to get publicized, that we are, in fact, playing right into their game by following up this and, and agreeing that we're being anti-Semites uh, by following up this, which is completely bogus, Uh as uh, as I pointed out, it's the Palestinians that are the Semites. That's a that's a bogus right. uh, challenge, uh, but it's the card that just turns off American minds. So Americans right. have got a big big problem here, and they're gonna have to learn about what's going on. One of the things I suggested is getting acquainted with BDS, the boycott, the invest, and sanction Israel. Right. They the state of of uh, South Africa is boycotting Israel. 
So uh, you can see the lengths to which uh, Americans, uh, media has gone to to prevent this information from getting into America and pre- preventing Americans to get into the BDS situation to, to actually publicize that we're having to get, uh, that, that we're being taken over by agents in this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, the, and the current Israeli government, which is, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, and, and extremely right-wing people um, is, is so far to the right that, that if, if uh, the positions of these Israeli politicians were really understood by Americans, they would be, you know, they would find it absolutely repulsive. But that's what the mainstream media does. The mainstream media kind of uh, soft, you know, they, 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 they sugarcoat the whole thing. But, you know, right. you have to remember that, that Netanyahu, Netanyahu is the father of the war on terrorism. He and his father come from the extreme right-wing group called the Likud, and, and, and they are former terrorists. And Netanyahu is still a terrorist to this day. He's one of the chief architects of the 9-11 false flag terrorism. So, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a complete, um, it's a complete uh, fraud. I mean, it, 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 it's, so, it's so egregious, it's so overwhelming, that it's really hard for people to understand because it is such a big lie. The whole thing is such a big lie, and it, 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 it's taken over our country basically at the, at the government level, lock, stock, and barrel. And that's, that's the American problem. You know, if we want to recover, if we want to recover our, our integrity as, an, as a nation, if we want to restore our, our American republic and our American way, American system, We've got to do some real big house cleaning. And, I mean, it, 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 it's on the level, it's really on the level of a purge like Stalin would have done because it means that a lot of people, a lot of very big people from former administrations like Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and George Bush and all of the names we talked about today would have to be arrested and tried. I mean, it would, it would change America big time. But it would, be, it would be a catharsis. It would be a catharsis. It's the kind of catharsis, the cleansing that has to happen. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, that's why it's so hard to <laughs> wrap our minds around just exactly how big the problem is, even those of us who are in the movement and uh, have been following this for some time. Uh, I'm totally understanding the magnitude of the problem and the magnitude mm-hmm. of the, the, the denial. I mean, there's so many millions of dollars that go every day toward protecting Israel and protecting Zionism that it mm-hmm. seems to be totally daunting. But I liked, I liked what you said. Uh, once again, I'll bring it up again. Embrace controversy. We are in a movement, the truth movement, and if you want to get the truth out and, and uh, uh, overcome the lies that we're being told all of these years, you're going to have to embrace controversy. And I think that's, that's right. that is the thread that I'm pulling out of this. We are going to have to be able to stand up and if people are giving, uh, bringing ad hominem attacks and they're attacking the people, people should be able to say, wait a minute, that doesn't have anything to do with it. That doesn't, that right. doesn't solve the problem. That doesn't show that we didn't do it. Uh, you've got to find another way to, to talk about this. Mm-hmm. That's right. Another okay, question. so another go ahead, question Steve. When you have, uh, I didn't, if, go ahead with your train, there, train of thought, Chris, but uh, just I have another couple more questions from talk when you're ready. No, we're ready for questions. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. 
the next one was from the same uh, folk, a gentleman or a person that uh, asked the earlier question that you uh, gave a, an answer to, was how significant is the B'nai B'rif to the Israeli spying intelligence community in Western countries? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. The B'nai B'rif, the B'nai B'rif is the, it's a, uh, first, what is B'nai B'rif? B'nai B'rif is a uh, Masonic organization, uh, Free Masonic, Freemasons, I think they call them, and it is only open to Jewish men who are Zionist by ideology. So non-Zionists are not welcome, and non-Jews are not welcome. And so what it is, is a secret society, international secret society, um, in which Jewish Zionist men, um, you know, meet and, and do their business and conspire behind closed doors in an open society. Um, you know, this is, these kinds of secret societies are basically... Um, uh, they are. They should be banned in in uh, democratic societies because what they do is that they allow they allow combinations, secret combinations of men, to and women, to conspire, um, in in a free society. So that you, for example, in in B'nai B'rith, you have people who are like lawyers, um, clerks in courthouses, and judges, all belonging to a secret society, and nobody knows what they're what they're talking about. But when they, go to, when they go to the courtroom on Monday morning, all three know what they talked about on Saturday night. So it's, it's, that is anti, an antithetical, uh, uh, antithetical situation in a democracy. Um, like um, John Kennedy, President Kennedy said, he was opposed to secret societies, and he found them repugnant. Of course they are. But this, this one, in B'nai B'rith in particular, is very big and very powerful. And they have, they have sub-agencies. One of the sub-agencies is called the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith. The Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith is an organization which is basically was created in Chicago back in 1910 or something to protect Jewish criminals from defamation. Um, and, and they also have a, a group, an organization called Hillel, which is, uh, basically has an organization at every college campus in America where Jewish students are enrolled. And this is how they organize Jewish students on campuses. And the ADL is, is one of the key uh, organizations that liaises with American police departments. So, for example, there was an ADL agent working at the local police department where I was living who basically informed the local police that I was some sort of right-wing, neo-Nazi, militia guy. And they, and they, they, so, they so defamed me that it was very easy for them to get these police worked up and came to my house and treated me like I was like I was some sort of terrorist in Iraq, and you know that's how they they treated me. They they just they felt that they were uh, that I had no rights whatsoever. I was just you know and, and I I got I paid the price for that. And then I was then I was tried in a court in a court where I had the same situation, where the judge, the prosecutor, and the clerk all belong to the same secret society. So I mean it's it's like it's it doesn't it's it's, it's terrible. And B'nai B'rith is, is the main, uh, main source of the conspiracy that we have today in the United States. I mean, all of, the big, all of the big Jewish men who are owning media and owning television stations and owning newspapers and, and, and the senior judges and everything across the United States are all members of B'nai B'rith, Jewish Zionist men. And that's the problem in a nutshell. Thanks, Chris. Uh, there's also uh, another guest um, that is 
on audio, so I'm on unmute you, uh, talk to you. So go ahead. Oops, hang on. Okay, go ahead. Hello. Yes. Hello. Am I talking to Christopher? Yes, you are. You're on the air. Yes, you are. Oh, uh, Belleville, Canada here, Christopher. Uh, uh, Glad to hear uh, you're getting a little more exposure. Uh, Investigative Mm -hmm. reporters are my only heroes in in Mm -hmm. the Canadian uh, paradigm. Uh, I I got Mm -hmm. onto the the 9-11 thing after the markets reopened and uh, following the business pages, all of these shorted put options uh, were mm-hmm. n- never seriously investigated. Uh, winning prize money mm-hmm. left to stand. No names were mm-hmm. brought forward, as if and the whole mm-hmm. story on uh, on the uh, on the financial markets uh, totally di- disappeared. I, I kind of disagree mm-hmm. with you about uh, uh, Chertoff and at uh, all uh, 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 being cowards mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. I think they're more analytical than being cowards. If they were to sue any of you guys for libel, mm-hmm. the evidence mm-hmm. would have to be brought to court. They don't want to see that mm-hmm. kind of thing happen. So I, I don't think they're being mm-hmm. cowardly so much as being smart. Uh, no, I never called. I never called Sheratop. I never said said Sheratop was a coward. No, no, oh, you, he's he's he's. Sorry, not uh, Sheratop. I didn't, Oh, you yeah. said you said by not you said they were being cowardly, and uh, you grouped them all together. I but think. I meant I meant I meant I meant what I meant by that was Architects Architects Institute of America, the AIA, that 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 turned down uh, this institution has been cowardly. These are the people who are cowardly. These people who should take a stand for 9/11 Truth. These organizations, these institutions in America, they're the ones who are cowardly. Michael Sheratoff is certainly not a coward. He's he's really taken big risks for himself in doing what he did. Uh, all I'm saying is that none none of the names named, and there's a whole plethora yeah. of individuals. Yeah. None of these guys sue for libel. Right. right. You know what I, I mean? I understand. Uh, otherwise, yeah. they, right. they, don't, they don't want to see anything happen in court. The, the, the one thing yeah. that I don't quite sure. understand between the the yeah. nanothermite theory and the nuke mini yeah. nuke theory uh, yeah. is uh, you guys you agree on the same end uh, end result, but it's like you start quarreling mm-hmm. with each other about how uh, the minute detail, the minutia of the detail mm-hmm. and how it was done, and I kind of think mm-hmm. that does split uh, the, the the argument. Or whatever, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in your argument, I don't know. Do you explain the existence mm-hmm. of the barium and strontium uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, was discovered in the dust with just nanothermite? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't get into that. Uh, the, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, you say that this uh, argument about nukes versus nanothermite uh, kind of like splits the group. That's exactly what it's meant to do. The um, it's meant to, to split the, uh, create a division among the 9-11 researchers and get some people um, going this direction, some people going that direction. It's why it's called a red herring. It's, it's a, an old hunting term. You use a red herring to, to distract, the, uh, you know, distract the people into a, a, different, into a different direction. Um, the, the nuclear argument doesn't, uh, doesn't make any sense at all. Um, well, and nor yeah. does Judy Woods... But but 
But your argument doesn't seem to explain the presence of these isotopes, which should not even be in existence in in a in a building collapse. And the other thing that well, I, and, and, could I I just uh, could they have not worked in combination with some kind of mini nuke and thermite? And because when you look yeah, at the yeah. extreme amount of energy in that hole yeah. for months, yeah. Uh, that to me uh, uh, is generated by uh, a some kind of or possibly a, a number of very mm -hmm. small nuclear devices. That that energy mm -hmm. is incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, is that like you know the people talk about the fact that there was like melted granite beneath the World Trade Center, and that that was somehow proof that there was a nuclear blast down there. Well, you know. We do know that there was molten steel, molten iron, um, and there were, these, uh, there were these chemical reactions going on beneath the pile for three months after 9-11, which created uh, tiny particles of iron and lead and all these basic uh, elements um, that were in the smoke. And that extremely hot temperatures persisted for three months under the rubble. And these temperatures were hotter than the melting point of granite. So there you go. Whatever was, whatever was cooking down there, whether it was a nuclear bomb or whether it was a nanothermite slag, um, it, it certainly created temperatures hot enough to melt granite. The end of that, end of that question. The, the thing about the, um, when you talk about these other things that were released, you know, I went to a high school in America called James B. Conant High School. And James B. Conant's claim to fame was that he was on the Manhattan Project and that he was the father of the dirty bomb. He's the guy... He's the bright guy who came up with the idea of strapping some, you know, fissionable material onto a, a conventional bomb and, and blowing it up and then rendering that territory, um, you know, dangerous for the enemy, you know, deadly. So this dirty bomb idea, which you heard a lot about at 9-1-1, could have been used on 9-11. We do know that there were massive explosions that occurred in the basement of both towers before they collapsed. The seismic evidence shows that. Eyewitness testimony shows that. William Rodriguez talks about that guy who came in, um, you know, from in the, in the lower sub-basement, and he'd been, he'd been, he'd been exploded. He'd, been, he'd, been, he'd seen a huge explosion before the plane even hit the tower in the basement. So um, whether those bombs, for example, had some sort of, uh, um, you know, nuclear, some sort of uh, visual material on them that would then, you know, um, be, be found in the, in the rubble in the, in the, in the area, that's possible, but whether it's a nuclear bomb, I've taken this up with a, a, a friend of mine who used to was a scientist on the, on the Manhattan Project, and he, he thought that the idea that a nuclear bomb was used at the World Trade Center was highly unlikely because a nuclear bomb creates a growing and growing and growing explosion. It, 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 it's got a certain characteristic of you know, starting off and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's not what we saw on 9-11. What we saw on 9-11 was we saw both towers basically first um, severed at the bottom. There was huge explosions at the bottom, which basically cut the, cut the core column. The building started to fall. You know, you can see that from the, from the, the big mass on the North Tower started to fall first. And then you saw that the buildings were basically pulverized floor by floor from the top down. And, and then in the rubble, they found this, the culprit. They found one of the culprits for sure. They found this super thermite, this thermetic material. And what I have, I wrote a recent article called 
um, you know, the, the basics of nanothermite and the destruction of the World Trade Center. And I wrote this after I visited Amsterdam and saw um, Richard Gage. Because when I talked to Richard Gage and these architects down there, and I just brought up this little point about the little tiny ball of molybdenum that was found in the dust. And, and I talked about these other forms of nanothermite, like molybdenum trioxide, and, 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 and that these, these nanothermites are explosive in and of themselves. A lot of people don't understand that. And these characters who support the uh, nuclear, if you, read, if you read carefully what they say, nine times out of ten, people like Gordon Duff and Jim Fetzer, they talk about this nuclear blast, nuclear bomb, but in paragraph two, they start calling out and saying that the nanothermite guys like me and Steve Jones and Richard Gage, that we're fraudsters. So what it really is, is a veiled attack on the truth. Nanothermite was found in the rubble of the World Trade Center. Therefore, nanothermite was involved in the destruction of the World Trade Center. If these guys who believe in nuclear bombs and, and, and Buck Rogers beam weapons bring down the World Trade Center, if they really had compelling evidence, they would produce a peer-reviewed paper to, 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 to bring their um, evidence to the public and out in the scientific community for, for discussion. They haven't done that. Why? That's the question. If they really have compelling evidence, why haven't they presented it in a peer-reviewed paper? You know, Steve, Jim Fetzer, is a, he, he, he knows that's how you do it, and so does Judy Wood. But they haven't done that because they're only red herrings that are meant to be barking from the sidelines to basically attack the, the, the evidence that has been found of nanothermite. For example, Judy Wood's book. I had, it, I had it to read on the train when I was in America last time. And in the very beginning, she says that the, the, the World Trade Center demolition was a cold event. It wasn't a cold event. It was a very, very, very hot event. Bingo, right there. Her, her, theory, her theory is completely um, no leg standing. Another question too, Chris. Uh, this is from someone uh, asked uh, uh, earlier. What are the links between Ashton Carter and the Rothschild? Very good question. Ashton Carter was in a group called Global Technology Partners. He was senior director of Global Technology Partners, along with um, um, John Deutsch, the former head of the CIA, and the Belgian-born former head of the CIA. And, and he, Ashton Carter, John Deutsch, and um, Philip Delacau, they wrote an article that was printed in, in Foreign, uh, what's it called, uh, Foreign Affairs Magazine, I think it is, that magazine that's... Uh, you know, read, 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 read in all the power, halls of power. And they wrote that article in like 1999, and I think it's called, or 1998, and it's called, um, you know, basically how America should respond to uh, catastrophic terrorism. And the subtitle was Imagining the Transforming Event. And what it was basically was there's a blueprint for how America should respond to this catastrophic terrorism when it occurs. And, and at the time when they wrote that article, in Foreign Affairs Magazine, John Deutsch and, and Ashton Carter were both directors for this group called Global Technology Partners, LLC. And that is a wholly owned organization owned by Rothschild North America. See, it's not very often that Rothschilds are so easily identified one step removed. Usually it's like three or four steps removed from the, from the actual culprits. But in the case of this intellectual um, discussion, um, Ashton Carter was a senior director for Global Technology Partners, and he was, in that sense, a direct employee of Rothschild North America. 
And today, of course, he is uh, our defense chief. He's the uh, Secretary of Defense. So we now have a former Rothschild agent, you know, running the U.S. military. Lovely, isn't it? Chris, I like this question uh, uh, also on the talk show. Um, and I'm curious about this myself. What is the current status of Kurt Sonnenfeld, uh, the 9-11 mm-hmm. uh, uh, theme of photographer? That's a very good question. Um, he, um, he's in Argentina. He has not yet been extradited. But I read that the, uh, I read that the uh, um, Argentinian court had, had basically upheld and supported the request for his extradition by the United States of America. So since he's not in America yet, I would assume that his case is being appealed in Argentina because the last thing he wants to do is come back to America because if he comes back to America, they'll treat him like they treated Snowden or that Assange um, because, you know, he has, he has video information, which he should have revealed. But I would think that he should have revealed this information by now, um, you know, made it public so that in that, in that way he would no longer be, uh, you know, something they'd be interested in. If he, if he, he was a videographer for FEMA. And he was down in the World Trade Center. He was the only videographer. And he went down in the basement of Building 6, the old U.S. Customs House. And, and the most important thing that he saw, in my opinion, was that he saw that the vault, the, the treasure vault, the, the, the big safe that was below Building 6 had been broken into and emptied the night before. And, and that's very important because that, that vault contained all the evidence for the very serious crimes that were being prosecuted by the authorities in Building 6 and Building 7, like Enron and the WorldCom and the gold scandals and, and these huge crimes that were being investigated during the 90s, during the Clinton time, the evidence for these crimes was all stolen, cleaned out, as was a lot of gold. Hello. How do other people get on the call? Uh, you're on the call. Oh, my Great. Because you've been bringing in these people from the Internet questions, and I'm sitting here on a cell phone and didn't know what was happening. I'm, I'm always, and, and it hasn't been mentioned so far in this call, worried about the day before at the um, Rumsfeld had announced that $2.3 and some people think it's a lot more than that, but anyway, w- w- went missing. And the head guy, Mr. Moneybags, the Pentagon then was a Rabbi Dov Zalkin. Is that how you pronounce mm-hmm. his name? That's and right. people were, and he had... I believe, um, sold off as old obsolete surplus some pretty brand new expensive fighter planes. And when we're talking about, you know, a few billion a, a year, which is chump change compared to a trillion, which is only a thousand billion. I mean, hey, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, the stuff going on at the Pentagon was, was truly amazing. And we were told yeah. oh, all, the, all the computers that we were having the information kept on about the details mm-hmm. of the confusion in the uh, accounting were destroyed. Well, those were apparently just dumb terminals, and the real computers are buried way underground somewhere, and of course they've still got mm-hmm. the information. And then they said, well, the backup tapes or whatever they were were there in the World Trade Center, and so they got destroyed, and that's just a lot of poppycock. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, just mm-hmm. phenomenal amounts of stuff that you know, was you know, talked about at one point in time, but then seems to have been forgotten. But all of these, every single one of these is tied to Zionist, 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 Zionist people one way or the other. That's right. And there was a two-day conference on the Pentagon that Hamouk's got all kinds of videos on. I mean, that's that's good stuff, Mm -hmm. and there's lots of interesting stuff being said in there. And Mm -hmm. 
the Alison Weir's other company, the one she's president of, is Council for the National Interest Online, and 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 um, Phil Giraldi, who's the uh, uh, staffer there, is the one who broke the story about the USS Amberjack, that was a spy submarine that was especially equipped with optics on the periscope to better film the sinking of the USS Liberty. And um, all that USS Liberty thing was the Israeli, try, Israeli um, military trying to sink our latest spy ship in, what was it, 1967 to blame right. the Egyptians. And that was a day when we had nuclear-armed planes flying around in training exercises that suddenly go live kind of scenarios, which we seem to see all the time, like the all the various forms of Gestapo were running around in training exercises the day before 9-11, and on 9-11 everything just goes live, same way. Everybody's right there, Johnny, on the spot at Boston Marathon bombing or, or pick some other place. It's all over the place. And you've got uh, an Israeli company in Massachusetts, a Converse or Converse, that does audio yes. recording and, and spying in great quantity. It's an Israeli-based thing. There's another Israeli company that, that I think does all the long-distance billing for Verizon, so they have all our phone mm -hmm. records. You think you're worried about NSA having it? By heavens, the Israelis do most of the work, and they supply a lot of the equipment that does it. And you've got right. people worrying now about the new, newest, latest generation of computers don't have code that's hacked into them in the software you run on them. It's there in the microcode in the computer chip itself. Now, isn't Israel where a lot of the Intel main processor chips are done? I mean, mm. you've got lots of stuff to worry about, and there's lots of stuff mm. to talk about. And the mm -hmm. the that the that sh that event last year, the the natsummit.org thing that was in D.C. at the National Press Conference and the tail end mm -hmm. of the annual ass-licking contest week, the APAC week, this year couldn't mm -hmm. be in the end at the same time. It was a month and a few days after APAC, but it had it was run by two of the four people, four nonprofit groups that did that event last year. This one was called IsraelLobbyUS.org. And they have, you know, um, Gideon Levy and people like that over here saying things that if they lived in the United States, they couldn't say. But he's he's in, right. in Israel. You can say stuff you can't possibly say here. They had Miko right. Pellet speaking. They had all kinds of – they had a guy who was wrote for APEC and wrote and worked for Congress and all kinds of other things saying, damn it, we Jews need to say, don't think – you're doing this in our name. In fact, don't do it in our name. They're they're really upset by a lot of the stuff that Israel's doing, and these are really mm -hmm. outspoken people with certainly you know pristine backgrounds in in all kinds of stuff you know in our government and and in you know is, is you know whatever APAC let's and other see, things and, uh, and they're they're upset. Let's see was, what uh, Christopher has to say about this, Chris. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's there's a lot there. I didn't hear a question, but the one point that's that what he brought up. The iceberg. Yeah, that's to be the answer. One point I would bring up, the important point, he talked about the missing $2.1 trillion that Rumsfeld talked about on September 10th. And the person who was in charge of counting the beans in the Pentagon at the time was Rabbi Dov Zechheim, as he said. Now, if you look at the biography of Rabbi Dov Zechheim, you will, find, you will find that apparently he was born in the Bronx, but he, he went to college. He went to a college called Jew College in London. And he's an Orthodox Jew. And he, that's at Jew College, he apparently studied and, and became the, the rabbi, Orthodox Jew. But in London, you know, this is, this is in London, this is where the head of the Jewish um, community is Lord, Ra Lord Rothschild. And, and, and Dov Zechheim's connections to the, the British 
Zionist establishment is most troublesome because that's where he would be an agent of the Rothschild. That's where he would have been cultivated as an agent of the Rothschild. And, and it's like, how is it that this Rabbi Dov Zechan is controlling the Pentagon money, the department, you know, the money, when, when 2.1 trillion is missing? And how is it that he's not like, you know, held accountable for this in any way? Um, well, this is, this is very important because you can certainly, you know, like when we talk about where was the nanothermite made, I, one of my recent articles when I'm writing about William Jeffrey and his connections to SRI International in, in Menlo Park is that it's very likely that the nanothermite that was made was, of course, military grade, very well made. It, was, it may have been made in a place like SRI. Probably not Lawrence Livermore because that's a little bit more oversight there. But in a place like SRI in Menlo Park, there is no oversight. It's a nonprofit group that does like $4 billion worth of research and development for the U.S. military in the last 10 years, and there's no oversight. And they make nanothermite, for crying out loud. They make all these nanocomposites. And the person who runs the laboratory where they make the nanocomposites and the superthermites at SRI is an Israeli. His name is Yigal Bloom, and he's been with SRI since 1984. So you see, wait a minute. It may very well be that some of that missing trillions of dollars went to SRI or somebody like that to make the nanothermite. And that's, that would be, just like you said before, that would be chump change. That would be nothing. Maybe $10 million, $100 million. It would be nothing compared to the $2.1 trillion that's missing. You know, I would think that, as you said, uh, finding out where that money went would be a, a very important thing because finding out where that money went would expose a lot of high crimes, wouldn't it? Really? That. Where'd the money go? That's very important. So I, I, I thank you for the question. I mean, for the call. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Christopher. Uh, I want to uh, just reiterate one thing you said earlier, embrace controversy. I think that's what the 9-11 Truth Movement is all about. And I also wanted to mention that at blog.911tv.org, you'll find Solving 9-11, Ends the War, Christopher's latest uh, uh, video. You'll find Allison Weir's work. You'll find hundreds of videos about 9-11 uh, truth that need to be shown on public access. So anybody that gets a chance to get this material shown on their public access station is a hero to me. So what I want to do at this point is thank Christopher for coming on this show from uh, – from Sweden and thank everybody in America who's listening and asking questions, just brilliant questions coming out from you guys. And I think what we're going to do is close this out now and uh, think, think about, well, we'll continue Steve, but I just wanted to do a finale for the show when I publish it. I have one, um, one, one question. Go ahead. Sure. Go ahead, Betty. We, we've done a lot of talking and I've learned a lot here and everything, but what I'm concerned about is, do we need uh, somehow or other a grassroots movement to make enough of a mass of people that's going to help bring this forward, all of this information forward to get the people to understand? How how do we do it? I mean, right now we're just individually trying to do the best right. we can. So, right. I mean, isn't that needed? Yes, yes. So yes, can is. we have yes. some time a call that we can discuss that? <clears throat> yes, I, I wait. I, I would say this is Christopher saying. I would say that 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 is very much needed. You know, I I know about these little movements like uh, 
uh, we are the face of 9/11 Truth. There's one where where it, 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 you know they're trying to they're trying to make it uh, appealing and more popular to be 9/11 Truthers, but it it still is a very hard um, uh, road to hoe because um, with the mass media, the controlled media is completely against 9/11 Truth. And most Americans get their, their information, their news from the controlled media. So they are not inclined to embrace 9-11 truth as long as they're watching CNN or Fox News. Um, you know, that's where we are lampooned as being conspiracy theorists and idiots while they are imposing a, a, a kingdom of deception on the American people. So it's, it's, uh, I think it's definitely um, uh, a subject that needs to be um, discussed because how do we do that? How do we how do we make this a popular movement? You know, Social we're trying, media. but it's, it's going. Yeah, it's it. That's it. That's it. Social media and internet. That's. But we we have to we have to grow this movement, you know, because um, and it has to be it has to be a nonviolent um, educational effort because you know as soon as you as soon as you engage in any sort of uh, violence, um, the government will come down on you like a ton of bricks and they'll kill you all. So, you know, we're living in that kind of world today, unfortunately, that, that uh, you know, we, we, have to, we have to be nonviolent, but we, like, like Hamouk says, we have to embrace controversy. Don't run away from controversy. You're, you, only, you only did the, the, the commercial things. PBS and NPR are equally guilty, controlled by exactly the same, you know, Zionist, right. con, you know, con, control cartel. That's right. That's right. The whole media. And all these the people media. are using our airwaves with FCC licenses, and they are no longer a functioning media in the, in the true sense right. where it's part of the checks and balance system we're supposed to have. These licenses should be being pulled by, you know, a proper democratic process. That's right. And it, it, well, it's a disgrace. It's a national disgrace. That's right. That's right. Because, you know, the, the real problem is when you get down to it is that Americans believe they live in a democratic system, but, but most Americans are only spectators in this, in this, in this, uh, in this uh, government. We have to get more participation. We have to get more popular participation in our government and, um, you know, take it out of the hands of these special interests who have taken over our government. That's the problem in a nutshell. So the guys you with a lot high, of money, deep pockets, they've hijacked our country. You could high-tech stuff like, like hypnotic things swirling on your TV, entrainment, which is audio, sub-10 hertz things, which can make you feel happy, mad, sad, you know, whatever else they want you to do. And all that kind of stuff being done, neuro-linguistic programming or NLP, used routinely in all kinds of stuff. If you watch mainstream media, you are a hypnotized zombie. And, right. and this kind right. of stuff, the kids have to be taught about this. I believe Common Core, this new thing they're bringing in to trash our edu system further, is essentially controlled by, again, the same people, probably the same people behind Common Purpose in the U.K., which is a frighteningly huge thing. It's a whole you know, 10-hour conference call on that alone. And mm -hmm. it's, it's mind-controlling the peons so that the peonors can pee on the peonies. <laughs> or did I get those I get those backwards? But anyway, whatever. You get the idea. I get yeah, the idea. Thanks so much. Anyway, I, I want to I wrap this up now. Uh, go okay. to blog, 911tv.org, and take a look at Solving 9-11 Ends the War. I want to thank everybody who came in on this call. 
uh, for taking your time on this beautiful Sunday in California, and I uh, hope Sweden's good too. But thank you so yeah. much, Christopher, for coming on online, and uh, maybe we can do this again uh, at the, in another month. Maybe that would be a good time thank to do you. it. But let's, let's chew on thank this. You. Thank you so much for coming on board, and we certainly appreciate the time you've taken over the years since September 11th, 2001 you've been on the job so i want to tell you how much i appreciate that and i tell you i am going to embrace controversy as i move through 9-11 truth thank you so much and thank you thank you all very much talk to you soon right over thanks a lot bye-bye thank you a-u-n american underground network 